episode Loaded nine. Oh. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. Oh, my God, what a <laughs> scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck yeah. the lot of you. <laughs> Austin Eckler. He's making me like I'm some sort of cameo. Like, I'm coming in and go, and out the bag, England to win. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Loaded Sport, where today we are going to be reviewing the weekend's action, the latest in the Premier League title race. We'll also be reviewing the combat action with Kempis Combat Corner, making a once again return with a special guest, Mr. Mudge. Mudge, hello. Welcome back to Loaded Sport. It's great to have you uh, with us. Hello, mate. Um, a little bit under the weather, so I'm going around at the moment, but always good to join you boys. It's uh, it's an honour and a privilege to, to be a part of the Loaded Sport um board committee and uh yeah i'm i'm excited uh how have you how have you been ad ag i'm all right thank you i'm on I've, I've been ill similar to yourself but i'm on the back end of it now so uh thankfully i'm i'm on the way out of it yeah no good to hear have you had a you had a good ment so far <laughs> yeah it's it's all right it's that short month isn't it so uh you get the luxury of a, a payday coming anytime soon so uh yes i always prefer yeah. february that's how it works out nicely for me uh joining good us man. also in the absence of both sam and skin is uh, Mr. Kemp. Hello. How are you? Mr. Sadat, man with the mic. How are we doing, chaps? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Mate, very well. Very well, now that I've heard your Good. lovely, soothing Good. voice. Dulcet, dulcet tones, you might say. I were a little bit poorly last week as well. All the family got struck down with COVID. Um, I reckon I had it, but didn't bother testing because, you know, fuck them. And, um, yeah, when, when I'm ill, I get this little gruffly voice. Uh, and it's it's quite sexy, I think. So I wish I I wish I got that poorly voice all the time. <laughs> a lot of the time, I sound like a fucking yeah. Sound like I'm I'm like a hamster. You know, them YouTube hamsters back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh. But no, apart from that, lads, I'm very good. Uh, Mudge, how you doing, mate? You good? I'm good, mate. I'm uh, I'm. Uh, I think there's a there's a lot to talk about this week. There I is. think. Uh, the, the Prem is roaring back in action. Um, a lot of momentum swings at the moment. And, um, yeah, I think uh, the sporting world, although it, in, in terms of the NFL, it is quiet. I think, uh, yeah, there is, a, there is a lot going on at the moment, isn't there? Yeah, and who better to talk us through it than, than the man with the mic? Take it away. Yeah, I was actually going to go to Mudge first for his opinion on this. Um, no disrespect, Kemp, but we've heard a lot about how Man City right. and Arsenal are the two front runners. I saw on the poll that was put on the Loaded Sport community forum, Mudge, you said that Manchester United are very much considered as uh, outside chance of a title race this year. Right, hear me out on this, right? So there are there are many factors as to why I said yes. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, uh, for the for the listeners out there, I myself, I am a Manchester United fan, but this isn't coming from a place of bias. It's coming purely from a place of where the Prem is right now in terms of the schedule and from what I've seen so far. Arsenal had a tremendous start, probably one of the hottest starts I've seen in a kind of hunt for for a Prem title for a long time. Um, But their loss to City obviously proved and showed that although they're very, very good, they're not pretty much there at the level where they can sustain this kind of winning, in my opinion. I know the two culprits who jumped on the bandwagon for Arsenal are not here today, and they'd probably counteract that. But um, yeah, look, I think Arsenal are looking a little bit shaky, although they got a, a good win against Villa on the weekend. But again, last-minute goal. Um, City are City is my pick to win it, 
Um, and they were my pick from the start of the season. But again, a 1-1 draw over the weekend, it's not really doing them any favours. Eric Ten Hag and United are looking really good right now. Um, they probably have the hottest kind of product in terms of a player in Marcus Rashford right now, who is just, he can't do any wrong. He's playing with such confidence. And fair play to Eric Ten Hag for kind of unlocking that out of him. Um, so, yeah, I think United have a chance because of where we are in terms of the Prem. Obviously, with the World Cup that took place uh, back in November, the Prem is a little bit behind schedule. There are a lot of fo- There is a lot of football to be played. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if United make a late push. But, again, my two culprits are going to be City and Arsenal. But you can't count United out of this race. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I'm going to stand by Arsenal. I'm the sort of person that, until it's mathematically impossible. And I think, like you just mentioned there, they did have a very good start. And up against Manchester City, I think they dominated in terms of possession. They played for a large part of the game the better side of football. I think it was just that final third. They couldn't seem to get the ball in the back of the net. And yeah, that is going to cost you championships when push comes to shove. And I think that's where the transfer window, and maybe the lack of experience in a transfer window, is really going to affect Arteta. He had Jesus, it was a great signing, he started the season on on fine form, and then he went down injured, and the only player they've got in place of him is Eddie Nketiah, and I did mention um, on Thursday about how he's going to be the difference maker for Arsenal moving forward. I think he still had a couple of chances against Aston Villa that he maybe should have took, he maybe should have done better with, that I think, again, he's going to play a big part, so sooner rather than later, they're going to need Jesus back, and I think he was actually due back last week from injury, so I think there's a setback there somewhere that's keeping him off a little bit. And it is worrying me a little bit now that Man City, with this experience of being in these title races, are going to outdo Arsenal. I'm going to stand by Arsenal because I said it from the very beginning. But before, when they were eight points clear, I thought, this is Arsenal's. Eight points clear, game in hand. Now Man City have closed that gap considerably. It it kind of changes my thought process a little bit. I'm I'm not going to attack Arsenal fans because I did that once on TalkSport when I was absolutely hammered whilst eating a pizza. Um... (laughs) But long live Mooj. Long live. Uh, yeah, Arsenal are renowned. They're, they're they're known for being bottle jobs, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like it's horrible to bring up, but that Champions League final against Barca is a prime example of that. I think a lot of clubs need to like are known for embodying a type of mentality. So United had Fergie time where they were just battle to the end. Um, you know, gritty, gritty team and <laughs> gritty, gritty team. Arsenal for me personally, are playing an unbelievable brand of football. They have always been known for playing the most beautiful version of the tiki-taka football in England. Uh, And they've always had it. They've always had strong, kind of like a strong Spanish presence in terms of their style of play, the Fabregas's and, you know, the the, the way they used to play with it. Wilshire even embodied that Spanish type of playing. I just don't see them churning out win after win. Um, It's no disrespect to them. I just think it's about sustainability City are monsters in that aspect. It obviously comes from the investments they've had from the past. Their depth on the bench is ridiculous. I mean, Mares coming off the bench, he, he could start in almost pretty much any other Prem team. Like he, He's that good. KDB was benched the other day. It just says a lot about how much talent they've got on, on their team in general. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of Arsenal, like I, I just don't trust them to get the job done. From my side, anyway. Um, Kemp, I know you you are lobbying um, for the, the failure of Arsenal uh, as well. Uh, what what do you think at this moment in time in terms of where, where the Prem title 
stands? What's what's happening with the race? Well, lobbying for their demise is very, very, very harsh. <laughs> but yeah, I pretty much am. No, um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, at the start of the season, if you'd have said, "Who would you rather win the league, Arsenal or City?" Of course, I'm going to say Arsenal. It's a little, it makes it a little bit more interesting. I'd be really happy for Arteta if he does it. Seems like a really nice guy, although he does seem like a little bit of a Spanish David Brent after the uh, Arsenal All or Nothing <laughs> that came out on Amazon last year. Um, but yeah, no, he, he seems like he's he's a he's a good guy, a good football man, and I think it'd be nice for them to win it. Um, I, I'm sort of torn because you know, in my heart of hearts, if I'd not backed City, I'd, I'd probably want Arsenal to win the league. But hence, you know, I'm I'm the only loaded sport boy um, left, really, apart from you, Mudge. Who's, who's sticking with City and not sort of crossing the divide to Arsenal. Um, in terms of the poll, um, you mentioned there that do you think Man- Manchester United have got a chance to win the title. Absolutely. Absolutely. You look at the table and, yes, Arsenal have got a game in hand, but you've got Arsenal sat on 54 points, City sat on 52, and Man United sat on 41. If Man United win and City 49. lose... 49, sorry. If Man United win... And City lose, they're not the same points. You know, two wins for Man United, two losses for Arsenal. It's there's so much time left in the season that I, yeah. honest to God, I do think United are still outsiders. But with the way Arsenal have been looking in the last few weeks, shaky. City have looked not shaky all season, but they've they, they've got one in them, and it's weird. They've got a, a shaky one in them. You know, um, at points of the season, they've proven that and no less in the game at the weekend where, where they, they drew away at Forest. United could do it. They really, really could. Um, I think it would be amazing. Out of the three, would I want to win the league? I'd, I'd say United. I've got a bit more of an affinity for United than I have the other two teams. But, you know, I think more than anything else, and there's, again, a long way to go, I'm just happy that it's three teams who are all going for it. There's not City out in front by 30 points or Liverpool out in front by 20 points and it's done by you know bloody February. It's amazing that there's three teams still in it and, and fingers crossed, you know, one of them, apart from Arsenal, wins it because then it uh, either backs me up or it doesn't go against me. So, yeah. yeah, we'll see. But it's very exciting and that's what we want as football fans, especially as neutrals like myself. Yeah, 100%. I'll make a point in regards to the things that Arsenal have going for them are is the fact that they have a game in hand um, and I think United won't play a game up until March now. Um, and I think City and Arsenal might be playing two or three in between. Yeah, I think I, United have got a postponed game yeah. because of the Carabao Cup final, aren't they? Ex- yeah. yeah, exactly that. Um, I will make a point in regards to um, Arsenal in the sense that, look, Newcastle came out firing this season and there were talks of them, you know, comfortably being in top four. And I know there wasn't any title talks, but there was talks of them, you know, maybe having a really good season and maybe pushing for top three, even top two. They've died down now big time. They're on 41 uh, points, I believe, just dropped out of the top yeah. four. Mm-hmm. Um, Arsenal, are, for me, are, are a much more glorified version of that, where obviously they've had Arteta a little bit longer than Newcastle have had Eddie Howe. They're riding on their young talent. They're playing unbelievably well. Um, Jesus obviously makes that team a little bit better. I think uh, Nketiah is a bit of a donkey in my eyes. He's uh, got a unicorn aspect to him where... Um, you know, he can uh, play unbelievable football uh, and finish well, but at times he just looks a bit lost out there. So um, I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. Um, but 
yeah, a lot of football to be made, uh, to be played. And uh, as I told Skin and Sam this, I'll see those boys in June because I really don't think Arsenal are going to be champions this year. No, me neither. And it's probably a good time to to move on. But just before um, we do, I want to make the point of, I think Arsenal's season, um, it might sound silly and it might sound a bit random, but I think it comes down to how well Jorginho does for them. And the reason that I say that is because he's an experienced head. He's been there before. He's won titles. He's won trophies. If he can come into this side and settle all the young lads down, if they're having a bad moment or a good moment, Jorginho hopefully will keep them on a level where he says, right, come on, boys, we've not done this yet. Keep going, keep going. And I think before they got him, the only other player they've got that were really experienced in that regard was Zinchenko, and he's a young boy himself. Yeah. So I think Jorginho will be pivotal if Arsenal do win the title. Um, but but yeah, that's what they need because you, you can tell, that you know, in, especially in the bad spell that they had over the last few weeks, you need those experienced heads in the, in, in the group. You need a few yeah. people to settle it down. The amount of young sides we've seen that have been you know, really good, but when they get into a bad run, you know, they just fall off a cliff, and that's what they need. So I think it all depends on that, but uh, it will be a very interesting running and uh, looking forward to picking up my £20, my crisp £20. <laughs> we'll see, mate. It'll be the first thing I've ever ironed, but I'll make sure I earn that £20 for you before I give it to you. <laughs> uh, right, moving on to the listener lock-in and the results in just a few moments' time. We'll see how Daniel Alton got on as the seventh person to take on the listener lock-in. Welcome back to episode 32 of Loaded Sport. It's now time to have a look at the listener lock-in. And Kemp, I dare say that this is one of the most um, interesting listener lock-ins that we've had. He put so much effort into the research. <laughs> His explanations for why he chose everybody were so valid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't think any of us were coming away from uh, from your man's picks, from Dan the man's picks, and thinking that, that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't realistic or it wasn't going to work. Um, but that's that's football. That's the nature of the lift and lockings and the picks. And uh, yeah, he had a, he had a bit of a struggle of a week. So I'll I'll I'll, I'll blitz through it now if you want to, Adam. I'll. Uh, it's up to you, mate. You I'll, or me? I'll, I don't mind who goes through yeah, it. Yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll I'll crack through it because I feel like I'll be more sympathetic. I feel like you'll take the piss out of him. Him being your uh, your mate and everything, mate. So, as uh, soon as he told me that his football idol was Curtis <laughs> Davis, I think he earned the right to have the piss taken out of him. Well, I suppose so. Yeah, he signed his own death warrant in that one, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. What can you do? It's a tricky question, though. So fair enough. It's not easy for everybody. I mean, for me, it's Neil Warnock at the drop of a hat. But you know. Um, <laughs> so I'll start with everybody's locks of the week. So uh, locks of the week start with Mr. Dawson, who had Plymouth Argyle. And I think they were the name on quite a few people's lips this week, Plymouth Argyle as a lock. But unfortunately, they did not come in. So that's a big fat cross in Dawson's lock. And very rare that Dawson doesn't get a lock correct. So he'll be very disappointed with that one this evening. Um, Mr. Marsden. Yes. It's a, it's, a, it's a very, very good, bright start for you. Leighton Orient, they came in. What were your thoughts behind that one? Uh, top of the league, 10 points clear. Um, and they were against a side that had just got out of relegation, um, and I think they'd lost four of the last five. So There you go. Justification if you need it. Uh, so, Adam, you've got Leighton Orient. They won, so that's a big tick next to your name. Well done, matey. Sam, Mr. White, he had Sheffield Wednesday. 
who did what Sheffield Wednesday do this season and won no problem at all. Um, yeah, they're on an absolute roll. And as a Sheffield United fan, obviously massive, massive rivals, hate Sheffield Wednesday, but it's really, really difficult to, um, to, to, to dislike what they're doing now. I've got a lot of time for their manager and, uh, and, and, they're, and they're picking up results. So it's, it's difficult to, uh, to not admire it. Um, so that's a tick next to Sam's name. And then in the end, I went with all reliable this season, especially under Dawson's boy, Marco Carrick. I went with Middlesbrough to win and they won in due course. So that is a cross for skin, a tick for Ag, a tick for Sam and a tick for Kempi. So we move on to scorer now. Um, Mr. Dawson, he struggled again uh, with, with Ivan Tony. So that was a, a bit of a cross in that one as well, Mr. Dawson, unfortunately. Adam, you went with yes. Chaplin. Talk us through that one because it came in. I did, yeah. He scored three goals in his last two games before this. He was up against the side that had the worst goal difference in the entire football league. So I was stuck between Connor Chaplin and Marcus Rashford. Somehow I managed to choose between either of them and I went with Chaplin in the end and thankfully both scored. So I didn't end up with egg on my face. There you go. There you go. Well, that's all you need. I mean, you've, you've picked the one and it's come in. So that's all you can ask for. And uh, yeah, sure, Connor Chaplin is on a roll at the moment. So that's a tick next to your name once again. I went for the loaded sport trope, which is what it tends to be these days of picking a scorer from your lock. Unfortunately enough, I went with the championship's leading scorer, Tuba Akpom, who scored once again for Middlesbrough. So that is a tick in my column as well. Move on to the wild cards now, just before we move on to the listener lock-ins. Um, you mentioned Sam's. Well, oh, sorry, I didn't. Sorry. Uh, the reason I didn't is because it's just automatic. I just thought Haaland would have scored. But unfortunately, he didn't. And Sam went, <laughs> Sam went with Haaland there and uh, and it was automatically a cross, unfortunately, next to, next to Sam's name rather than a tick. So, Mr. White would be very upset about that. We know what would happen had Sam not picked Haaland. Haaland would have bagged four oh, that Harland game. Haaland would have bagged, yeah, easily. And to oh, be fair, Haaland has been all reliable for Sam this season so far. So, uh, yeah. unlucky Mr. White on that occasion. Um, I'll move on to the wild cards now, unless I've missed anybody else. No, you um, Mr. Dawson went with Gillingham and they won, so well done. Adam Fulham, which means you get a tick. And for the first time, I think, ever since we've been recording the scores of these Adam has got three out of three so a round of applause I think GG's in the chat thank you for Adam who's been absolutely useless this season so yeah, far yeah. So. Has well done for doing your job mate just well done just, yeah just yeah. on that because skin does post these stats every single week and other than wild cards Kemp I'm now level on stats for you mm. with you for both lock and scorer so mm. Yeah, it's just unfortunate that pretty much every week I get the wild card right. But that brings yeah. us on to, uh, to to the wild card results for me this week before I move back on to Sam. I unfortunately didn't get this one right. I went with my heart over my head and I went with Aston Villa, who unfortunately, oh. right at the end of the game, just capitulated. So very unfortunate, but it is what it is. And Mr. White, he went with Burton Albion, a local club to himself. And they won. So, scores on the doors at the end of the night. A very disappointing by his standards. One out of three for Mr. Dawson. A unbelievable three out of three for Mr. Marsden. So, congratulations. And uh, two out of three for Sam. And a two out of three for me. 66% for me and Sam. I will take that every day of the week. Don't mind that at all. Now, I'm sure 
Dan, unfortunately, will not take this any day of the week because, like his hero, Curtis Davis, he's let everybody down. <laughs> um, uh, his lock were Chelsea at home against Southampton. I mean, they lost, which is... I'm, I'm surprised that Graham Potter hasn't been sacked just yet, but, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that more in the in, in the next episode of Loaded Sport. Um, his scorer was Archer, and Archer did not score. You might as well put him in a glass with lemonade because he's about as much use there as he is anywhere else. Uh, his wild card was Luton, and they unfortunately did not beat. I think it was Burnley they played at home. So he gets not out of three for the lock score. He's a wild card. It's Derby County versus Charlton Athletic. He had down there as Derby winning 3 0. They didn't. He had Aston Villa beating Arsenal 2-1, which until the dying embers of the game, they were. But unfortunately, in the end, they didn't. And he had Newcastle, United and Liverpool drawing 1-1. And that ended as a 2-0 win for Liverpool. So, Mr Alton, unfortunately, it's not a great score. It's it's a pitiful score. It's 0 out of 6. Um, and unfortunately, at the end of the season, much like Mr Marina, you will be handed the wooden spoon. So, unfortunate, but once again, struggling with the listener lock-ins. But we go again. We go again next week, Adam. Who we got on next week? Uh, this week, we are straying away from the Derby County supporters that we've just had for the last month, and we're going with a Manchester United fan of Paul Martin, oh. who's going to be joining us to uh, discuss this, as well as, of course, the uh, Cup final this weekend between Manchester United and Newcastle. Yes, yes, and thank God for that, because honestly, the listener lock-ins did start to turn into the Derby County supporters club. <laughs> during the last few weeks so we're very very happy with the fact that we've got a Manchester United fan coming on and I would love to pick his brains on Manchester United title ambitions and also the Carabao Cup final so a very good time to get him on looking forward to speaking to Paul uh, this week absolutely I mean to be honest I'm not really a part of the listener lock-ins this week I will just make a note as to a lot of the pick you have the listeners have the whole field to choose from to go zero out of six, right, out of the listener lock-ins is pitiful. So, Dan and Tina, you guys are fucking useless, all right? And, <laughs> as, a, and as a middleman who just pops in every now and again, honestly, sort your shit out. Watch the game a bit more because zero out of six is, honestly, that's a, a corpse as zero out of six. That's a corpse's score. <laughs> Classic one just coming back and wow. just throwing a grenade in the next one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Man it United is worth mentioning, Mudge. It is worth mentioning because, you know, you say there, uh, I, I, I hate to remind the listeners once again, but the listener lock-in, the listeners always have the first pick on every single so category. Crazy me. And they are nowhere near our averages in terms of the percentage. So, um, yeah. It is, it, I think it definitely doesn't come down to not knowing your sport. You have to hone down on a fixture that you can pretty much be close to being confident on. And I think it's very similar to, to betting, like that that Liverpool-Newcastle game, you can make a prediction on it, but you you wouldn't include that game in your ACA, for example. So it's it's knowing games to stay away from and kind of honing in on, on games that you're quite confident in. And I think the listeners have to be a bit more pragmatic about their approach. 
um, because they're fucking useless at the moment. <laughs> I don't think anybody would agree with that. So yeah, on that note, uh, Adam, um, we'll uh, we'll move on. Yes, in just a few moments' time, we'll be back to review night three and look forward to night four of the Darts Premier League. Welcome back to episode 32 of Loaded Sport. We're now going to start by reviewing last week's darts, uh, the finish and the conclusion of night three that took place in Scotland and look towards night four that takes place this Thursday in Dublin Island. Kemp, it's been uh, not quite the, the tournament that I'd have hoped for or expected or have at Oof. least liked, considering the fact that dear once oh, again, oh, Peter Wright has let me down. The only thing he's doing me a favour for at the moment is the fact that I don't have to go out in a mohawk of a different colour and a snake tattooed on the side of my head. No, yeah, I think you're safe on that one, to be honest with you, mate, because it's, uh, it's not looking good. Peter Wright, again, out in the quarterfinals. Bottom of the table for the night. I think he might also now be bottom of the table overall. The only one with um, zero points. Yeah, it's not looking it's not looking great, I'll be honest, mate. But yeah, there's plenty of time to go. It's only night four of seventeen. Uh so there's a time for the for the snake bite to uh to, to inject his venom into the competition Ooh, just yet. Nice. So like you mentioned there, night three, uh Ireland, um yeah, Glasgow, sorry, Ireland is night four. Glasgow, uh Peter Wright's hometown. Uh, you were hoping that he could he could go full go in price on it and, and win in his hometown, but unfortunately it wasn't to be. Uh, in the quarterfinals, we saw Nathan Aspinall beating Michael Van Gerwen, the tournament favourite, 6-5. Peter Wright lost, as you mentioned there, 4-6 against Dawson's favourite, Dimitri van der Berg. I'm sure he had a celebratory dance for us after that one as well. My boy, my favourite, Gerwin Price, lost uh, 6-3 to the eventual winner of the night and the world champion, Michael Smith. And Johnny Clayton battered uh, Sam White's boy, Chris Dobie. Semi-finals, Dimitri van der Berg um, dispatched Nathan Aspinall by 6-1. to one. Very, very easy for him there. And Michael Smith sneaked past Johnny Clayton, beating him 6-5. And in the final, the world champion, Michael Smith, against the dance man himself, Dimitri van der Berg. And Michael Smith beat him 6-4. So, struggling, struggling there for you, unfortunately, there, mate. But um, it looks like it was a... A good round of action. I've seen a few of the a few of the games, and uh, yeah, there were a few good good ties. What did you think to the uh, to the action on uh, on night three? I, I enjoyed it, mate. Some of those, I think, based upon how night one went, I thought there's going to be a lot of close battles going on here, and I thought players like Doby and, and Van der Berg were really going to have a chance to showcase what they're all about. And Van der Berg's done that obviously up till now. Got to the final uh, last week. Doby, of course, won night one, so he's kind of put his foot in there a little bit. All four that the four of us have predicted to go on and win this at some point all went out in the fir- in the quarterfinals on night three. So um, that's always something to look forward to, isn't it? Um, looking towards this week, I think we've got some some good matchups once again in quarterfinals. I think again it's another one where I can see Peter Wright going out in the quarterfinals. I know in the uh, the Premier League people often look at it as anybody can beat anybody on their day. But going up against Michael Smith, he, I was on an arm between Smith and Wright as to who I was going to go for and back for this championship, considering the fact that Smith had just come off the back of a championship and a fantastic game against Van Gerwen as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's got that momentum with him. And I think after last week's performance as well, going on to win it in, against a guy that was so confident, 1-6-1 in the semi-finals, he got that confidence behind him as well. And Michael Smith just kind of 
saw him off and you know brought him back down to earth. I think it's just going to be a straightforward for win win for him against uh, against Peter Wright. I think for me it's going to be Van Gerwen's night though. I okay. think he's going to go ahead and win it. He's got Dobie, and then I believe if it's how it works, he'll then go up against Aspinall or Clayton. Yeah, and I believe I, so. Yeah, I think Clayton's <laughs> currently top as it stands, but um, I wouldn't I wouldn't begrudge Van Gerwen dispatching of him anyway because when it really matters, Van Gerwen mm. always finds a way to make it through. And I, I know obviously towards night sixteen, I think it is night sixteen is the last one before they make it to the the semi-finals. I think he's going to have that a bit about him where he'll make sure he's there, but I can see him finishing top amongst it all because he, he always finds a way to get through and, and prove himself as the best at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and and I think I don't know if I I don't know if I agree about the winner. I think he'll definitely win his side of the bracket. As you mentioned, it's Michael Van Gerwen, I would say he's in there with the not the three weakest names, but the three names maybe that are, are least familiar to maybe casual dart fans, you know, new kids on the block, especially when you talk about Johnny Clayton and Chris Dobie. Um, other side of the bracket, you're looking at players like Michael Smith, Peter Wright, Gerwin Price, who were all a little bit more established names in the darts world, I would say. Um, I think it's going to be a very interesting night. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the darts on night four. Um, I think on, on Van Gerwen's side of the bracket, he'll definitely make it to the final. I can see him beating Dobie and then maybe beating Clayton in the semis. Um, and on the other side of the bracket, I don't. I'm not just saying this because he's my boy, but I, I can see Gerwin Price making it to the final as well. Um, I also think Gerwin Price will win the night. Now, the reason I say that is because I've watched Gerwin Price quite a few times. I've mentioned it before, so I don't want to sound like a you know a, a broken record. But I think once Gerwin Price gets into a rhythm, he's very much a rhythm darts player. You know, he'll, he'll win the quarters. He'll almost certainly always win the semis if he wins the quarters. And then the final, you know, he, uh, depending on how he's done in the quarters and the semis, he can really take that as the gravy train into the into the next game as well. So it'll be a very interesting night of darts. I'm really looking forward to it. I think these are some really, really good matchups in the quarterfinal. And hopefully I can come away with a Gerwin Price win and you can come away with a Peter Wright blank. Mate, Fingers I'd crossed. just be happy for Peter Wright to get me a point at this minute. Just one point. Yeah, <laughs> I'd just take just that at the minute. <laughs> one singular point. Yeah, no, it'd be good for you to get on the board. And I'm sure he will. Like I say, there's plenty of darts to play. But looking forward to it and uh, and looking forward to reviewing it on uh, on next uh, next Tuesday's episode of Loaded Sport. Absolutely. In just a few moments' time, we'll be back for another edition of Kempe's Combat Corner, reviewing this past weekend's combat action. Welcome back to episode 32 of Loaded Sport. We're now ready for another edition of Kempe's Combat Corner. Thank you very much. Yeah, Welcome back, everybody, to Kempe's Combat Corner. There were some fantastic uh, fights over the weekend, some barn burners, as I would say, on Kempe's Combat Corner. And I'm delighted to welcome my special guest to the Combat Corner today, Mujib Sadat. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello. How are you doing, mate? You good? Shut your booking, mate. Ready to talk about some fights, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's do it, mate. I'm excited to good. be in uh, Kempe's combat corner. Oh, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. And just a, a, a prerequisite, I'm going to talk about um, the boxing from this weekend. 
Um, Lee Wood fought Mauricio Lara in Nottingham, which was a fantastic fight, and we'll get to that in just a second. Mudge is a big MMA fan. Um, we're going to quickly preview John Jones versus Cyril Garn at the end of Kempi's Combat Corner. Um, but yeah, when it comes to boxing, I think Mudge is, is quite happy for me to take the lead on that one for now. So I shall do so if that's all right with you, sir. Let's go. Go for it, mate. Fantastic. Good, good. So yeah, as I mentioned, big event in Nottingham on Saturday night. We had Lee Wood versus Mauricio Lara for the WBA Featherweight Championship of the World. Um, a, a great night of fights, to be honest with you. The card was as it always is in boxing, a little bit of a sleeper. Um, the vast majority of boxing cards up and down the, the spectrum are, you know, tune-up fight, tune-up fight, tune-up fight, you know, a bit of a competitive fight and then the main event, which tends to be, you know, mostly fairly competitive unless you've got Joshua versus Franklin, which we've already discussed on Kempi's Combat Corner. Um, but a couple of performances that I just wanted to mention because I thought they were really very impressive, actually. Um, and, and there were some really good young fighters on display. So, fingers crossed, you know, they, they're looking promising for the future. The first one is a young lad from Rotherham, so not too far away from where myself and Adam are based. Uh, a young kid called Janaid Bostan, um, a fantastic, fantastic young fighter. Uh, for a guy by the name of Peter Kramer, who is a journeyman. And that you know, it, it, that's what it was. It was a it was a journeyman versus an up and coming fighter, which you do see so often in the boxing ring. But yeah, what a fantastic win it was by Boston. Um, it pieced him up. He knew when to come forward. He knew when to take his foot off the gas and and conserve his energy. First couple of rounds, he he, he absolutely tarred Peter Kramer, and I thought he was going to get him out of there. Kramer, a real warrior, wasn't going out without a fight. Um, really hung hung in there, but never really caused any damage to Junaid Bostan, who is a very, very promising young fighter. I think he's 20 years of age, if I'm right. Um, he, he's got 26 rounds under his belt now. He's, he's got five wins, all by the way of knockout, 100% perfect professional record. And he's looking like a very promising contender. So um, very much looking forward to seeing his development going forward. You can also repeat that for a young guy by the name of Aaron Bowen. Um, a very, very good performance. I think it was his professional debut as well, if I'm not mistaken. So a very impressive performance from himself as well. Um, knocked his opponent out in the very first round. A guy by the name of Matteo Gomez. Uh, again, he's not, you know, he's nothing special. Oh, sorry, it wasn't Aaron Bowen's pro debut by any means necessary, but there you go. Um but yeah, it, it was a, a, a fantastic performance. I don't think anybody was saw the knockout coming because I don't think he's ever knocked an opponent out before. I think that's why, where I got it from because the first uh, it's the first fight on his resume where he's knocked somebody out. Now he's twenty-one and three with one KO, but it was a, a fantastic knockout, a, a real knockout with a plum. And, uh, and fingers crossed, now Aaron Bowen can go from strength to strength from what was a very, very promising performance. So well done to him. So I'll move quickly on now to the main event. There were a few fights there. Sharon Clark um, winning by you know, unanimous decision. Gary Culley winning by TKO against Wilfredo Flores and Dalton Smith winning as well. But I'm going to move on to the main event in terms of a breakdown because that is the one that we were all interested in seeing on Saturday night. Lee Wood, the WBA featherweight champion of the world defending his belt against the boogeyman of the featherweight division, Mauricio Lara. 
in Nottingham. And I think on Kempe's combat corner, well, I say I think, I know on Kempe's combat corner, I um, had Mauricio Lara earmarked to win by TKO in the eighth round. Um, and he inevitably won in the seventh round, which was very, very close to the eighth. But um, right at the end of the seventh round, Ben Davidson, Lee Woods trainer, threw in the towel, um, deeming his fighter in no position to continue. And, and unfortunately for Lee Wood, he lost the title in that moment. Again, he's such a hard hitter, is Mauricio Lara. He really is the boogeyman of the division. Um, he was getting outboxed. You know, I, I thought this was going to happen early on. Lee Wood was frustrating him. He was boxing really well on the back foot. He was getting in and out of range. He was, he was sliding. He was getting caught with some shots, most definitely. But... He was staying out of the way of, of, of Lara's, you know, most of Lara's power punches. But, you know, when you're fighting Mauricio Lara, he's, 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 he's like the Deontay Wilder of the featherweight division, um, is what our good friend Chris Marina quoted him as uh, earlier on today when we were talking about the fight. Um, and he catches you with one and, 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 it, and it tends to be curtains. And that's what it was for, for Lee Ward. He caught him with a fantastic, um, a fantastic, you know, shot. And, uh, and and he went he went down. Wood did get cut over the left eye in the first round due to a clash of heads. Um, and and apart from that, he was pretty squeaky clean. He, he he was boxing unbelievably well. He was doing everything that he needed to do, but unfortunately, he decided to to throw himself in the fire. And um, and unfortunately, you're going to get burned. And, and he did. Um, it was a very very Mauricio Lara type performance. He was getting jabbed. He was getting pieced up at times, but just kept rolling on forward, rolling on forward and, and waited for his opportune moment to, to strike. And so he did. And we have a new WBA featherweight champion of the world. So Mauricio Lara, I think he deserves it. It's definitely his time to be a world champion. Um, beat Josh Warrington convincingly. Um, won back in America and then Mexico and then back to the UK to beat Lee Wood. And he's really going on a tear of the featherweight division at the moment. So... We shall see how that transpires. Um, we're going to move on quickly now, and I'm going to mention very, very quickly the, the UFC event that took over that took took uh, place over the weekend. Um, it was a, a fantastic fight between Jessica Andrade, the number two contender in the women's featherweight division, against the up and coming Erin Blanchfield. Erin Blanchfield, some of you may know, uh, MMA fans may know that she was the the, the girl who. Beat Molly Meatball McCann in New York City last time out in November. Um, and beat her fairly convincingly in round one with a Kimura. And she she did not waste any time in this fight either. What really impressed me about Erin Blanchfield in this fight more than anything else was, was the, the stand-up of Erin Blanchfield. You know, I think a lot of people saw this fight. Andrade either wins on the feet or Erin Blanchfield wins on the floor. Erin um, Blanchfield did win on the floor in the end. She, she, she submitted... Uh, Jessica Andrade by a rear naked choke, um, but what an unbelievable performance from Erin Blanchfield. She she was in, she was out, she she kept her head off centre, she was slipping, she was jabbing, she was doing everything right in that fight. Um, and what a performance, what a coming of age performance that was for Erin Blanchfield. She is still only 23 years of age, born in 1999. It's crazy to to see she's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, and what a performance she had over the weekend. And she's really, really, you know, uh, staked her claim now to potentially be the next contender 
for Valentina Shevchenko's flyweight title. For me personally, I would like to see Aaron Blanchfield fight maybe one more time, get that tiny little bit more seasoning that you need to fight against Valentina Shevchenko and then step into the ring with the consensus women's goat uh, in, in the flyweight division. And I think she is still the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world, Valentina Shevchenko. So a coming-of-age performance by Aaron Blanchfield, an unfortunate result for... Jessica Andrade, who I feel maybe now on that performance is maybe at the end of her time at the echelons of that division now, but but we shall see. Um, staying on the UFC, and this is where I'm going to bring my very special guest in to talk about this next fight. The next numbered event, which is taking place in a few weeks' time, is the return, the heavyweight debut of John Bones Jones against Cyril Garn for the UFC Heavyweight Championship of the World, recently vacated by Francis Ngannou, the Predator. And now it's Jones versus Garn for all the marbles. Mudge, how much are you looking forward to this one? Oh, I think we've been waiting for this one for about two, three years now, haven't we? Not, I mean, maybe not Garn, but just the return of John Bon Jones. I think, um, I mean, for me... John Bon Jovi's he, fighting brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly him, the, the 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 one who went rogue and went into the uh, MMA <laughs> into the UFC. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I uh, I think John Jones has always been um, for me the most impressive. I, I mean, in terms of as a resume, as a career resume, John Jones probably walks around with the best UFC um, resume I've ever seen. He's had countless amounts of um kind of title defenses he's uh just he's got it all um and obviously it's a it's a step up him going up in weight um and uh yeah i think um it's a test to see how how well he's done in terms of his conditioning see if he's kept his cardio um technically he's one of the best fighters uh, i mean I've, I've i've ever watched um and but yeah i mean it'll be interesting i don't think it'll be um I don't think it will be an issue from his side from a technical standpoint. It's just going to be a difference in terms of the power and the weight that he's fighting at. You know, he'll be coming, he'll be facing a, a big heavy hitter in uh, Ghana. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I think uh, it's about time we, we, we finally see him uh, fight at a heavyweight. Yeah, yeah. It's been coming for a long time. I think even when he was a light heavyweight champion of the world, a couple of years ago, as you mentioned, he was always, you know, hinting at the fact that he would want to move up in weight at some point in time. Um, yeah. You mentioned there his resume. He's basically unbeaten. Uh, the only loss on his record is is a, is a disqualification loss against Matt Hamill. Um, yeah. the, the disqualification, I don't know if you're, you remember it or you're aware of it much, but it was basically because of a 12-6 to 6 elbow that John Jones was throwing. Um, yeah. where you start with your elbow up and then bring it down directly from a 12 on a clock face to a six on a clock face. Um, and that is why he was disqualified. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy rule that, that shouldn't even be in existence. If you're punching somebody yeah. from the top, why can't you hit them with that type of elbow from the top? Um, again, that's a rabbit hole that we can go down, but he's basically unbeaten. And yeah, there were some shaky performances at the end of his light heavyweight run. Um, the, the split decision win against Thiago Santos and the, the unanimous decision win against Dominic Reyes to, 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 to mention a couple. But but yeah, um, John Jones is now making his heavyweight debut three years after he uh, left the light heavyweight division. Can you believe it's been three years since we've seen John Jones fight? The last John Jones fight was in February of 2020. 
that's how long ago it is. It's been a long yeah. time. Um, with this step up in weight, we've seen fighters step up in weight before. And I think it's different from, you know, Connor stepping up from 145 to 155. Um, yeah. Volkanovski stepping up from 145 to 155. You, you look at those step ups and you think, okay, there's not that much of a difference in the weight division. There's 10 pounds between featherweight and lightweight. You know, there's not that much difference when you look at that. But you look at someone like Israel Adesanya, who tried to step up from 185 to 205. And yeah. I think he was on record as to saying, you know, he didn't really do anything different. He just didn't cut weight. And he just went into the cage that he's walking around weight. And you did see, is he suffer for that? You know, Jan Blahovic, who was the, the guy that he fought, fought against for the 205 belt, um, he really out-muscled him and outpowered him and just seemed to lay on him for five rounds, which is, you know, he won the fight, but um, he struggled in that department. I think the difference between that and what we're seeing now with John Jones is that John's took a long period of time, at least a couple of years, to, you know, build up, you know, bulk up by, you know, increasing his mass, but keeping himself lean, keeping that conditioning in, and, and keeping himself at a relatively decent weight so that he can make that jump up to the heavyweight division, not be oversized, not be undersized, but also be fit for the weight. Do you think, and again, we'll see this when the fight happens, but... Which way do you think is the best way to approach it? To do what Israel Adesanya did and just not cut weight and don't change anything else and hopefully you're the same fighter on the night? Or or do what John Jones has done and take an extended period of time out of the cage where people could forget about you, you could potentially lose earnings and lose opportunities. If you're not John Jones, if you're nobody else but John Jones, you're going to lose that opportunity. So what do you think is the best way to move up in weight? The Israel Adesanya way or the John Jones way? I think you have to kind of realise um, what Adesanya did was very brave in terms of going up to a light heavyweight. If I'm correct, he went from middleweight to light heavyweight. Have I got that right? Yeah, so he went up from yeah. 185 <clears throat> up to 205. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He John did, Jones yeah. is going from 205 to 265 yeah. at the limit. Um, and I think he got pretty much humbled and he kind of took it on the chin, fair play to him. Um, I think he is a freak at, at middleweight, but I think it showed going up in weight classes isn't as easy as it sounds because you have to condition yourself to kind of fight at that weight for a long period of time in the ring. Your muscles have to get used to it as well. You have to put on that weight kind of naturally if you're going to kind of go up quite quickly, your body's not going to adjust to it. And if I'm honest, your cardio is going to be affected, even though Adesanya is a freak. I think John Jones has done it the right way. I think you have to also kind of take into factor that John Jones, I think, is financially one of the better earners in the UFC. He was financially stable, kind of going into that situation where he'd move up into heavyweight. Um, and I also think his legacy kind of is very important to him in the sense that he doesn't want to lose, does he, going up? He wants to prove that he can do it at two weight classes. And uh, you know what? Fair play to him. I think he is an absolute freak. Like, his cardio is has always been known. Like, he's always been known for his cardio. He's an absolute monster. Um, technically, one of the best um, that we've ever seen as well. But it just shows that he is aware of the fact that he needs to put in the work if he was to go up to, to heavyweight. Um, so, he, you know, he's put on all that weight. 
Um, and then he's also got to condition himself to a point where his heart has to actually get used to that weight as well because um, his heart's going to be working a lot harder. So he's had to put in the work for, for his cardiovascular, um, you know, kind of abilities. And uh, yeah, I think um, I think he's going to show the world that I'm going to, I think he's going to show his class. Um, I think if it was in Ghana, it would have been a bit of a different situation because you're coming up against an absolute unit of a man, like a freak of nature we've never seen at heavyweight uh, physically. But I think he um, he does well against Ghana. I think Ghana poses... A threat, don't get me wrong, but um, I think John Jones has taken the time um, and I think he'll be ready for the challenge uh, that's in front of him. Yeah, and I think that's the important part of it. You know, he has taken that time out of the cage. He has taken that time to give himself uh, room to breathe as it, as it, as it, as it would be for, for a heavyweight. You know, he's never going to be a 265-pound fighter. He's not, he's not genetically built like Francis Ngannou. But ultimately, he's going to get himself to an optimal level where he's big enough for the division, hopefully strong enough for the division. But also at the same time, he's not going to be getting himself to a ridiculous level whereby after round two, you know, his, his, his muscles are all going to be full of oxygen. He's not, you know, lactic acid's going to be building up and he's just yeah. going to be, he's going to be full. So, yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting. I think um, John will win the fight. But it's going to be a very, very interesting fight, and in, and in how John copes with, like you say, the additional power of Cyril Garn, being a heavyweight yeah. himself, and he's a he's an unbelievable striker, Cyril Garn. So I think John Jones's path to victory is very clear. He's an outstanding wrestler. I think if he can take Cyril Garn off his feet and take him to the mat, I think he, he dominates him very, very quickly. Um, but you know he's got to get past Cyril Garn's range. He's got to get past those punches first. So every round starts on the feet. So it's a fascinating one. Do, do you see John Jones coming out of this with? With his hand raised in the end, yeah, I do, I do. I just think he's too. I just think he's too good. Um, I think he's. Uh, I think he knew what he was doing. As mentioned, taking that time out, um, uh, at a time out of the octagon to work on himself. I think that there's a point to be made in terms of going up in weight because John Jones. One thing I've always rated about him is he kind of fights at the weight that he walks around at. You've got a lot of people in the UFC, like a Dustin Poirier, for example, who might be walking around at 190, but I think he's fighting around the 155 mark. Like, that is mm. a ridiculous cut. And obviously, if he's able to be successful in that cut, he's going to find a lot of success fighting smaller guys in that same division. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think I think John Jones wins. And, uh, yeah, bring back Ngannou. That's the fight we want. Well... It looks very unlikely. Um, just to touch on that before we do shoot, I don't want to leave it on a on a sour note. But yeah, the, the amount of money that I think Francis is is going to be able to command for a potential exhibition exhibition boxing match or something like that, um, it, it blows the UFC pay out of the water. And you know, UFC pay is something that we can probably talk about on another day. But but yeah, it's um it's it's a difficult one, and and Francis Ngannou unfortunately probably isn't going to be seen in the UFC for a long long time. But yeah, that's the fight to make, and if it does, you know, if it, if it is made eventually at some point, Kempis Combat Corner will cover it as you can expect. Kemp, once again, thanks very much for a great insight, Mudge. Thank you very much for joining us to go through not just Kempis Combat Corner. Uh, but the entire episode 32, it's been great to have you back with us. Thanks for having me, boys. Always good to be back. Uh, we'll be back on Friday, where we have another person attempting the listener locking. Paul Martin, the Manchester United supporter, will join us. We'll also have Skin back with us. 
and we'll be previewing the weekend's action. Woohoo! Join us then, baby. Let's go!